Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hunter's Glen. We believe about the scripture that a holy God by his own plan made it special, that he wrote it by his own spirit through inspired men, and then he's protected it. And so it's not just a book about God. It really is his voice to us. We read it that way with hopes that the spirit of God would take it and then drive it deep within every heart this morning. So let's stand together and read God's word together. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the ax is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, what should we do? What should we do? The word of God, you be seated, find in your Bible, Luke chapter 3. The old prophet Amos feared it. He warned us, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing of the words of the Lord. Amos 8. For a while, once people stop listening to God, then God stops speaking. It just goes silent. Everything in that silence turns secular. It's not a picture of children in Africa with their little distended bellies needing something to eat. Rather a picture of people sometimes pretty prosperous, but what they don't have and sometimes don't even know they don't have is a word from God. The presence of God, the protection of God, the wisdom of God, the blessing of God. It's just absent. And another writer in a similar time said, everybody did what was right in his own eyes. What choice do you have? If God is gone from the world, if his glory is removed from the world, then basically everybody has to make their moral choices based on what they think is right. And everybody just begins to wander around. There is emptiness, there is weariness, because God has stopped speaking. God has stopped speaking to us. Uh, that's where it was, Israel, in Luke 3. Caesar was in charge of the government in Rome. 
But everybody, he was not a moral man. He was far from it. Annas and Caiaphas were in charge of the temple, but they were not spiritual men either. It was all politics and money. That was what was steering those people. No wonder God sent John out to the desert, away from those corrupting influences, away from that noise, so that he could hear God. He, he needed a word from God, and so he had to go to the desert to hear it. For 400 years, God had basically been silent with Israel. There had been no authorized, powerful prophet to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, for 400 years, a larger, longer than this country has even been alive, as God has been silent with, with Israel. Decline, weakness, fear, discouragement, division. That's what they were experiencing. And then one day, it changed. What a great God. There will be a way of escape, says God. Um, the Bible tells of God who will never give up on you. As long as you are alive, he will be reaching out to you. Again and again, he will come. You need not wonder whether God has given up on you because he has not. He's gonna come again and again. The word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. That's how Luke describes it. The word of God came to John when he was in the wilderness. Was he praying that day? reading scripture, working in a field, we just don't know. But suddenly or gradually, because we don't know that either, he just knew what God was saying. Deep in his heart, it echoed in his soul, he knew what God was saying. He, in the words of First Chronicles, he knew what Israel should do. So it wasn't just a word just to him, it was a word to his nation that had to be shared to other people. Uh, in, in a miracle moment in the desert, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. So he left the wilderness and he came back to the more populated areas and he began to preach a very clear message. The old prophets, their formula was, thus saith the Lord. That's how they would talk. John never used those words, but he may as well have. Because this was not just a sermon. This was the very message and call of God. You could hear it in his voice. You could hear God talking to people's hearts through this man. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, we sing sometimes, but until the word of God comes, that's only a song. You can sing that all you want, but until you've had that experience of the, world, of the, the Lord taking a word preached or in testimony or that you read or heard on the radio and he drives it into your heart and it becomes him talk, saying it to you. My sheep hear my voice, said Jesus. And so if you've ever had this experience, you know the life-giving potential of it. Uh, the very voice of Christ calls you and shows you the way forward. Today, all over Plano or McKinney or Allen or Dallas, there are people who struggle, struggle. Life is hard and it's empty and secular. Uh, we struggle with anxiety, we struggle with depression, with pride, with immorality, with addictions, with family division. One word from God is what we need for him to speak to us and show us the way forward. As a matter of fact, one word from God is worth a bale of the dry straw of our own opinions. You can think all you want, but until God speaks to you and says, come this way, come this way, then there'll be no freedom. You can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it, said Albert Einstein. 
it's a leadership principle. You don't put the people who caused the problem in charge of the cleanup because they'll just repeat the mistake. And so that's all of us. We've tried all that we know to make life make sense. And what we need is a word from God. We need God to speak to us and show us the way. Now, by the word of God, I mean more than the Bible. I don't mean less. It is possible to study the Bible with dead eyes and with cold heart. The Pharisees did it all the time. They knew these stories. They knew those scriptures. But what they didn't hear was the Lord speaking to them in those scriptures. The word of God is the truth of scripture when it comes with the power of God in conviction to draw men into obedience to God, to right relationship. It's the word of God is the scripture that comes with the power of God to draw people forward into a right relationship with the creator. Isaiah, one of the old prophets wrote it this way, just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to heaven without watering the earth, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It won't return to me void. It, it does what God wanted it to do. So until there is convicting power, it's not God's word. Until it touches men's hearts and calls us in repentance to him, and straightens our relationship to him, then it's, it, it lacks that quality. If there's no convicting power in it, it, it isn't God's word that we need. So on your listening notes, will you write first, it will be when it comes a particular word. Write the word particular. In verse t two of his writing, Luke uses the word rhema rather than logos. And logos would be a far more expected word. That's the word you would normally expect. Rhema was a more situationally specific word. Watch me here, everybody. Love your neighbor, that's logos, it's the principle. You love the grumpy man that lives next door to you, that's rhema. That's where the Lord says, I'm talking to you now. This is what I want from you. And that's what Luke says, this, the word, the very particular word of God came to Luke as he's out in the desert. In John 1, Philip invites Nathaniel to come meet Jesus. And when Nathaniel walks up, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, how do you even know me? And Jesus says, before Philip found you, while you were sitting under that sycamore tree, I saw you. And it buckled Nathaniel's knees. He didn't know. He said, Master, Lord, Messiah. He did not know how to worship appropriately because what had just happened is that God demonstrated that he knows you. He knew Nathaniel. He knows you. You're a 40-year-old dad. He knows what that is. He knows your story. He knows your questions. He knows you. what you need to do next. You're a 78-year-old man. You're a person struggling with cancer. The scripture says he has infinite knowledge of who you are and he has not lost track of you. And so when the word of God comes, it'll have this sense that he's, in some sense he's talking to everybody, but in another various sense, he's talking to you. He's talking to me and calling me to do what he's asking me to do. 
Number two, when the word of God comes, it will be a practical word. We write practical. After that, you write that word, will you circle in it the word act, A-C-T, contained in the larger word. Um, most translations in verse two read, the word of God came to John. But the preposition in Greek is the word epi, E-P-I, and it means upon. The more specific reading of what, what Luke wrote was the word of God came upon John. There was this sense of burden or of pressure or of directional movement. You, it came at him. It came on him and it pushed him. It pushed him. It's no coincidence that it says the word of God came to John and he came preaching. It was like a domino effect. It, it, it touched him and he responded. He did something with that word. Don't be hearers only deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word, said scripture. So the idea up, everybody, up, get up. Uh, you must respond. You must do what God is calling you to do. And I am not in charge of what's happening in your heart, but you are. You know as he's calling you for what he's asking of you. And so if you hear God's word and it, nothing changes, if you hear it again and again and you know all the stories, but n it never engages your will, I will do that. I will do what he's asking me to do. Then it has not been uh, the word of God it is to be obeyed. Um, is not my word like fire, says God through Jeremiah, like a hammer that shatters the rock. You, you need not fear that God is weak up against the hard hearts of people. He, he can speak in a way to bring all the walls down and every resistance down. It's, it's a fire. If there's no fire, it's not him. And it will be a moral word, right? Moral. John's a fairly simple man. He's not seminary trained in the way we know it. He doesn't look like a preacher in the way we know it. But man, he knows what he's asking them. Two actions with one outcome. That's what he's preaching. One action is, is baptism. That's the outward action. The other is repentance. That's the inward discipline to look seriously at sin and call it what it is, call it what God calls it, and unto then forgiveness. That's what God can do. So two actions that we take that God might take the action that we really need, the forgiveness of our sin. Moderns are slow to admit the seriousness of sin. Most of us think that we are pretty good people, basically good people. Made a few mistakes, but we're basically good. We have steeped so long in this culture's view of humanity that we believe of ourselves something that's absolutely contradictory to Scripture. The Bible says God views the human race in its rebellion against him. We want nothing to do with him. We want to do things our own way, and we prove it day after day. So John, this... Animal skin, locust eating, wild man from the wilderness, he saw wrath coming. And I don't know any other way to tell you this, but he saw wrath coming. Who, who warned you to flee from 
the outcome that will come on the human race as God sees us in our rebellion. Read the book of Revelation. Read it. Read the book the wave after wave of, of wrath that comes on this world because God says it is enough. It is enough. And we may look at gossip differently than he does. We may look at dishonesty or criticism or prayerlessness or immoral choices. We may justify ourselves, but the scripture says God doesn't. Holy God doesn't. He does love the world, but he's holy. And so the only way he can love a sinful world is to draw you out of that sinfulness in his grace. And so John has this very picturesque picture, and maybe if you don't live in an agricultural world, you wouldn't know, but the, the farmer has already taken the ax out and put it down by the trees. They're not bearing any fruit. They're just not doing anything. They're just living their lives the way they want to live. And John says, the ax is out. You're, you're, you're a day or two away from God beginning to cut down these trees. And it is his wrath that, uh, motivates us and so um, and John said and do not use the religious argument he said don't tell me that you're children of Abraham um, as if a membership in that family could would save you up against God's wrath he said God could raise up stone uh, these stones to be children you need an act of grace in your heart that would fix this and so uh, he was as direct as he can be. In 1 Peter 4, the Bible says, judgment will begin in the house of the Lord. That when revival does come, rather than be exempt or safe from the conviction of sin, the people of the church will feel it most directly and most acutely. We'll stop raising eyebrows at the sin of the world and we'll start seeing our own sin. And baptism is a one-time event. You don't need to go be baptized again, but repentance is the ongoing work of the believer. Does this church need a heart transplant? Yes. And at every stage, every stage, the Spirit of God will stretch and probe and call us to repent. It's the reason Jesus said to pray this, forgive us our trespasses. It, he, he wants you in a daily encounter with the things that you actually do and sometimes just think, but many times actually do, that are a grief to the Holy Spirit and prevent him from working. Peter says, that's, it'll start here. The tears, that, those kind of tears will begin here and then spread to a lost world because he will use a cleansed church to do that work. Uh, when God's word comes, everybody, it will be a moral word. You cannot separate theology from morality. You just can't because God will not let you. That is not his will for the church. And so, but right then, hopeful. He's a hopeful word. Um, He's not Debbie Downer. He's a bit of a wild man, but he's very hopeful, actually. He says, look this way, the king is coming, and we can get ready. We can go repair those roads that he will travel to get here, and he will be glad and proud of us for our preparation. 
You know that road to the south that's got that bend in it? We could go straighten it. You know that road that's got potholes? We could level up those potholes and make it ready. We, if we know the king is coming, we could get ready. Um, we could confess our sins and get ready and make that road straight and he would be glad. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says there's three things that are gonna be true of the human story always. There'll be faith, this is how you begin a relationship with God, you trust him. And hope, you begin to see life with different eyes. It is possible to do this, it is possible. There's faith and that leads to hope and love will be the highest. But the middle one is the glue that binds it all together. If you have heard God and you're still discouraged, you haven't heard God. If you are still lost in your anxiety and your fear, you have not heard him because he's not discouraged. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says the New Testament church. They shouted, I know there are challenges ahead. I know there are things that are, that are gonna cause us to be really stretched, but he is able and I am not gonna be afraid. That's what they shouted. We can do this, everybody. You can do this. You can live a holy life before this God and it pleases him and shouts his name out into your neighborhood. You can. He knows how to make you the dad you need to be, the mom you need to be, the Mimi, the church member. He knows how to do that. And the way that he'll do it, he'll come and speak to you, come this way. You may not even see every step at a time, but you'll see the next step. And so far as you say, I'm right with you. That's the reason Paul called this staying in step with the Spirit. Just, you don't know the full way, but you will know the next step. And the next step is he leads you forward into holiness. And so when the word of God comes, it'll be a word full of hope for you. Last week at midnight, the people all across the world shouted, Happy New Year. Sadly, without much insight as to how that would happen. For the world to be new, a fresh word from God has to be heard in the human heart. You have to hear from God. Repent, return, your sins will be wiped away and time, a refreshing wind will blow in here, says Peter in Acts chapter three, I think. There really is no other path. Everything else is just a human solution and we've tried them all. Until God comes, there really isn't hope. And when he comes, there's a lot of it. You'll note, please, that when Peter preached that, he's, his hope had nothing to do with who the new pastor will be or who the old one was. I believe in pastors, but they are not the center of the hope that people have. Like Peter, if you can get your eyes up on him, he will be enough, even with water raging all around you. If you can get your eyes up on him, be thou my vision. If you can see him, you're gonna be just fine. For years as a pastor, I would go away to pray. To the best of my ability, I wanted to hear what God was saying to the church that needed to hear that from me. Uh, no man is ever adequate to be a pastor for the needs of the church or the needs of the world, and that was certainly true of me. But I will tell you, the scripture says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek with all your heart. 
If what you really want, if what you really believe the world needs more than anything is a word from God, if you'll go present your heart to, you, he'll, to him, he'll be very glad to speak to you and show you the way forward. Happy New Year, everybody. Let's pray together. Eternal God, what grace is it? You are vast. Cosmos, all shout your name. But for the, you know me, to know what I need to do next, to know this church, every heart here, to have given your son that we might have life, we praise you. So we soften our hearts, we open our ears, and we say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. I'm, I'm listening. And we thank you. Guide the day. Guide, and we'll follow. So will you come this morning as the Lord calls you? Don't make a step if he doesn't, but as he calls you. Would you come, confess Christ as Lord, and be baptized as a sign? That's his sign. Or will you come join a church, serve the Lord in accountable community? Or will you come and rededication? Will you act? Don't just hear it. Because if you don't act, you haven't heard yet. Uh, you must do what he calls you to do. The ministers are here to help and guide you. Or you can go to the visitor center and tell your story. Or you can come sit with me on the front pew and I'll be glad to visit with you. As we sing in worship, the truer act of worship will be to say, I'll do what you say. Uh, you've got you in my eyes. I hear you in my ears. I will do what you say. Let's stand together. We'll sing. You come. I give you my life.